This is a Trail Smoke Eaters podcast. The Smoke Eaters from Trail, British Columbia, have a battering style of play. Now I'm Ben Phillips, joined here with Rob Squires. A couple of huge saves by Logan Turnett. Episode of Cherry's Corner. Welcome to the Smoke Show with your hosts, Ben Phillips and Rob Squires. Welcome to episode 10 of the Smoke Show podcast. Made it through nine previous episodes. We're on to episode 10 here. Thanks for joining me here on this one. I'm flying solo uh, on a, a diff- little bit of a different episode this week. I uh, don't have a game to recap as the game from Friday was was postponed to this coming weekend here in Cranbrook. So doing things a little bit differently. We don't have highlights. We don't, don't have a little bit of news. There is a little bit of Smoke Eaters news, but we'll save that for the following podcast uh, in the coming week. Uh, so stay tuned for all that and all the updated news. We'll talk about a little bit of it here um, with uh, some of my guests but it's a, a get-to-know-some-of-the-smoke-eaters episode is what this one is going to be. Uh, we have a wonderful interview with the director of officiating for the BCHL, Brad Lazarowicz. Before we get to that interview, though, we have one of the new smoke-eaters in Nicholas Roussel is going to join me here on the podcast in just a few moments. Uh, we're going to talk about pretty much everything. It's a, you know, For me, it's a pretty unique story for Nicholas Roussel and how that he and how he got to the, the Smoke Eaters and how he uh, um, earned himself a, a Junior A contract and how and where he come from, where he's come from, what he was doing last year before uh, before the pandemic hit and why he is, is back in hockey. And you, you will hear all about that. So without further ado, we'll go right into it. Uh, here is my interview with Nicholas Roussel. And then following that, uh, we'll set you up with the interview with Brad Lazarus as we talk officiating as well. So here is episode the episode 10 of the Smoke Show podcast with Nicholas Roussel. All right, and we're joined here on the Smoke Show podcast with number 21 of the Trail Smoke Eaters, Nicholas Roussel. The second time we're doing this interview due to technical issues, but we'll make it better this time. That's uh, and we'll make sure it's recording properly. We've, we've done that. So first, so Nick, again, thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Uh, how are things going today? Things are going really well, thanks. Just got off the ice from practice, and we're doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. At least, uh, and, and this time around, you'll know what questions I'm going to ask, so you'll get better answers this time, right? Yeah, Not exactly. saying that your answers were bad the first time we did it. I'm just, yeah, I'm just giving you a hard time. Well, so the point of this is we're going to do uh, just a little bit of a, a get-to-know Nicholas Roussel, uh, a guy who um, – I guess kind of surprised some people showed up to, to camp a guy who uh, you know who hadn't played hockey very much last year kind of mm-hmm. called it quits personally yourself and then you came to ID camp in August you made the uh, the smoke eaters team just take us before ID camp take us through your last uh, kind of your last year I guess as uh, as a player and and obviously as a student mm-hmm. yeah so coming out of major midget it was my third year and I was on the bubble of making the BCHL. But I also got an academic scholarship uh, to university. So I had to make the – it was a really tough decision deciding where to go, whether I wanted to pursue hockey and make that risk or go to school where I had a pretty good setup. So uh, I ended up going to school and then 
ended up taking engineering, doing that full year of schooling. Uh, I played a little bit of hockey um, up until the Christmas break there. I played uh, a little bit of junior C just to get back on the ice. Uh, I was there primarily for school, but then the coach came up to me and he asked me to go out, play, play a couple of games. And it was just too busy of a schedule with school and everything. So after the Christmas break, I ended up dropping that. And then, yeah, so I just focused on school, got back home. And it was definitely, I knew I still had the game in me. I missed the game way too much uh, over that, that year of school. So I came home and I started skating just for fun. And a few, few of my coaches came up to me and started asking me what my plans were. And I was planning on going back to school, but I kind of realized that there was a chance if I worked hard, I could probably make it happen. So I just put my head down and started working hard and came to camp and it all worked out. So. And well, let's go. So you go, you do engineering at Queen's University mm-hmm. um, in Toronto or Kingston, Ontario. K- Kingston, Ontario. Okay, yeah. I knew it was out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I, I've had a couple friends who have done engineering courses at, at different schools, but it's generally a pretty heavy course load. Kind of what, what was the course load like? Like, are you doing six courses a semester? Kind of what? What was that? It was between. I think the first semester I, seven, and then wow. the second one I had seven or eight. So it was definitely a tough course load, but there were labs in there as well. But no, still it was definitely a it was a tough course load. But I had 800 other first year engineers in my program, so everyone's there to help each other out. You know, it would have been tough to do by myself. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely a lot of nights studying in groups, and because there's one there's people better in certain aspects, right? Mm-hmm. So some people are better at math, others better at science. So everyone helps each other out. It's good. So how did how did engineering come around for you? Like, it, was it just is something that you you've just continually thought that you enjoyed and that's something you wanted to pursue or uh, is there someone that influenced that kind of how did that work well my dad's an engineer okay yeah so he was an engineer but I never really thought about it and it was really I just always enjoyed the math and science side of things so that was that seemed like the career path that suited that the best and yeah it's always it's kind of cool that my dad's an engineer too so I can follow in his footsteps a little bit and then of course, whenever you need a little bit of extra help on the homework, you can be like, "So they're teaching us to do it this way in school, but how do you actually do it in the field? Because yeah. that's always different." Yeah, you know, exactly. I don't think he can remember anymore. <laughs> but he's been out of the school for so long. But yeah, no, definitely, it's uh, it, it's different going from school to the the actual uh, work field. At least uh, some of the other because students go on co-ops and then they come back and just talking to them, they mm-hmm. it's a lot different. Yeah, they teach you pretty much everything you need to know on the job, right? It's just learning how to think. So, student, and then you. So, so you, you kind of touched there. You played major midget. So you played uh, Vancouver Northeast uh, yeah. Chiefs, uh, and you played so major midget. So you played with Logan Turness. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've known each other for a little while now. And you're also roommates. Yeah. So here in Trail. So first, so you, you're you're doing the thing. So um, Logan li- lives with his grandparents. Both his grandparents live here on both his parents' sides. So yeah. and each month you you rotate and you go to go to. Um, a new billet, I guess you say. Yeah. You just kind of switch houses. So yeah. how, how's that been? Just kind of, obviously, I'm not sure how much you knew Logan's family yeah. beforehand, but now um, that that aspect of it. Yeah, I've, we've definitely gotten a lot closer. Like, I knew him pretty well in the Chiefs, but we never really hung out outside of the rink. And just being able to spend pretty much every second of the day with him, and we definitely get competitive. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun. And on the first of every month, like you said, we switch from house to house, and it's cool. It's uh, both the billets are awesome. Food's great. It's uh, it's a really good setup. I couldn't couldn't ask for anything better. So, so Logan, uh, obviously being goaltender, how how unique is it billeting with a goaltender? It's awesome. Like he's 
goalies, like people have always said, goalies are different breeds, right? They're just they're different characters, and he's just he's a freak of nature. Like he's everything he does, he works so hard and he's so competitive and everything. He, like we could play ping pong in the room and he's ready to rip my head off. It's <laughs> no, it gets it definitely gets competitive, and his routines are unreal. Like on game days, like I feel bad. I don't want to get in his way, right? He's got everything <laughs> down to the second and. No, it's he's definitely got a lot of routines and I, w- I don't want to say superstitions, but a lot of a lot of preparation that he's got to get done. Yeah, what about you? Any any superstitions uh, pregame or you just kind of try to keep keep it loose? I like to stay pretty loose. If I start thinking about the game as soon as I wake up, then I notice I get overthinking a little bit and I get a little tense. So I just try to keep it as loose as possible. Get to the rink and hang out with the boys for a bit. But once we get here, it's ready to dial it in. Tape my stick. Just throw in some good music and get ready to play the game. Uh, so, obviously, billeting with Logan, were you? Uh, were, did you get the inside scoop on, on where he was going to NCAA, or did you, uh, yeah. you know, get to the insider feeling there? Or, yeah, or I got <laughs> It was the, probably pretty exciting. No, it was, I kind of got to see it develop. I know he'd been talking to these teams for a really long time, but, no, he'd let me in every little once in a while, tell me what he, who he was talking to. He's, the guy's always on his phone. He's, <laughs> he's got at least two calls a day, so... No, it was really cool seeing what he's doing, and I'm really proud of him too for getting that. Is that we're allowed to say that now, right? Yeah, yeah University uh, of Connecticut, Logan Dumas playing NCAA Division One hockey uh, next not season. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Weird flex. <laughs> no, I'm happy for him though. He's worked really hard for it, and he's really excited about it too. Yeah, it's always it's always a cool thing. And so for you, let's you know we are talking to to, to you, Nick Russell. Um, you go from. You know, you you played Northeast Chiefs. We like we talked about, and you decided to make that decision where you're you're kind of you're kind of done hockey. You're gonna go. You're gonna focus on your schooling. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of come. Um, I don't know. Full circle is maybe the way to say it. But you're you've now stopped going to school and you're back in hockey, still p- playing for an education. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, for you probably a pretty cool thing because, you know, now you, now you get to go and still pursue that dream of engineering if that's what you decide to do depending on which school yeah. you go to mm-hmm. but also you get you you know you have the opportunity to continue to play hockey as well and develop yeah and that's a big thing i realized last year being able to play hockey and have that outlet for the university like i think it would make engineering a lot more doable just having that being able to play hockey and just have that outlet and you know i i just i love the game so much and leaving it last year was it was really tough for me but no, it's definitely – it's cool to be back. And like you said, working for that NCAA Div 1 uh, scholarship. So we'll see. He's got to keep working hard, right? And so, again, so as we said, you kind of came into that ID camp there in August as, you know, well, for me, you know, uh, an unknown. And you, you know, surprised. You you worked hard. You got your yourself mm-hmm. in. You, and then you were, you know, a guy that the Smogator said that we committed to. Um, so we, you – COVID happens, school's all online, and you've got a lot more time, and like you said, you're missing the game, and people are saying you've got an opportunity maybe to, mm-hmm. if you work hard, that you can get back in. So you, what goes into, you haven't played in a whole lot, and, and going, you know, playing then at, at the junior eight level is, is a big jump. Yeah. Uh, what is, what were those, that, that training like for you to get back into the position that you could show up here in August and be one of the guys that can, can, stand out yeah so as soon as I got home from university I like through I was doing like said like probably 10 11 hours of homework in my in my room right and I, I needed a little bit of an outlet so I just go in my basement and I'd work out when I was done with school I'd work out 
take a little break, go back to school, work out, and just that helped me get back into it. I didn't know I was playing hockey at that time. Mm-hmm. I was just working out to get in good shape. And, and then, uh, yeah, so I started skating again. I think this was, this was two months before training camp. Yeah. So I started getting back on the ice, getting back into the swing of things, and then kept working out. And I had a lot of skating to catch up on. I hadn't been on the ice in almost a year, right? So I started, I was on the ice seven to eight times a week, like coming into training camp. And it was, it was definitely a quick turnaround. But I just worked hard, and it was fun the whole way. Just it was, it was a lot of fun. I never hated any second of it. So I just loved everything and kept working hard day in and day out. And, yeah, I came into camp. It was a lot of fun coming into camp, too, because I knew Jeff Yurkar. He was my coach uh, mm-hmm. with the Northeast Chiefs. And I'd been talking to him during the summer, and just I was skating with him a little bit, just working on my skills, sharpening everything up. And yeah, it was a good feeling to come in here and make a little bit of an impact. And so obviously, you know, that, that connection as well, you know, Logan Turness and then Jeff Yurikar, you know, those connections. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, you get to skate with, with Jeff during the summer. And so that obviously helps, you know, get you and, and obviously helped you probably prepare for yeah. what you were going to see come, come main camp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, so you hadn't probably, you probably hadn't seen or talked to Logan a whole lot since, uh, since you had gone off to school and then you come to ID camp and uh, I'm pretty sure you scored once or twice at least on him. Yeah, uh, during no, the I got ID a camp, so that's uh, I let him hear it too. <laughs> Everyone likes to do it. You know, it you, you you and Defoe both uh, like to make him hear it. It's because he's it's so competitive. K- it's just because I know how much it bothers him, <laughs> and then it just makes you want to do it more. So, <laughs> so okay, so let's go competitive. Um, you told me a story last time about just how competitive you and Logan are playing uh, some NHL and you broke the controllers. Yeah, no, uh, I'm not going to say who, but yeah, controllers have been broken <laughs> in games of NHL. So, I don't well, want to, yeah. What, what's, what's your record again against him? I know he's pretty good. I've heard he's pretty good. I've won one game. <laughs> was it was it a shutdown game? Did you win one nothing? Is that how you did no, it? No, it, it was 3-1, but we didn't get to finish it because one of the controllers ended up blowing up, so... <laughs> I think there was seven minutes left in the third. Conveniently. Yeah. Conveniently, the controller blew up, eh? I'll still take the win, though. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's my one win. Uh, He's good. Um, t- Tupac, how long has been has Logan been doing that, and what's your record in uh, in Tupac in practice? Oh, I, he's been doing it ever since RAP year a couple of years ago. I remember coming up practicing, and he was always playing Tupac, and I think he gave me a courtesy win, actually. When I was up here practicing, he let me squat. I don't think he'll admit it, but he let me score a couple times to win two pucks, so I'll take that. But since I've been here, I don't think I've won once. No? No, because rookies aren't allowed to win, so. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, that's the way it goes. I guess so. I, I, I didn't, know, didn't know that rule. Yeah. But, like I said, like. That's my excuse, at least. Okay. That's my excuse. Uh, hey, I'm buying it. I'm buying it. I, I want to I wanna try it once. I yeah. want to get out there. I want to see throw if the I can beat Throw the skates on. I want to throw the skates on, see if I can See if I can just fool. I don't think I can beat him on the on the in tight breakaway, on the on the dangle. No, oh, he does so much of it. He's just yeah, he's, he's dialed in. Yeah, but exactly. I'm I'm thinking I can surprise him on the shot. He, he never seen my shot, so I, don't, I wonder if I could sneak one on him. Yeah, give him a little curveball. <laughs> yeah. Should I go 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 for the uh, the Nick Roussel golf slice? Yeah, do it. Oh, don't <laughs> bring up my slice. Well, we brought it up last time, and it was a good. It was a good story. So yeah. so someone told me, and I won't tell you who, but I think you probably know who. Yeah. Um told me that if you're driving past a golf course and you you see this guy on the tee box and he's aiming far right as he's teeing off, that's Nick Roussel, but the ball is going to land right dead down middle. the dead middle of the green. Yeah. No, it's I, – I need to get this checked out. It's a mean <laughs> slice. 
I, I don't know what it is. I just I slide, it's like a U-turn in the middle of the air. I have to aim two fairways to the right for it to land dead straight in my fairway. But I make it work. I play into my slice. And what's what's your what's your yardage on? Uh, how far do you think you can get? Oh, maybe two hundred yards. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. But if I can straighten it out, I feel like I get a lot more yeah, distance. Yeah, you, you take away. But that it's just my driver. Down. It's just my driver. With my irons, I don't slice too bad. So. But yeah, it's just the driver. So yeah, if you're if you're on the golf course and you you see this guy aiming for you, don't worry. He's just he's just gonna slice it over your head and it's gonna come right back. It's Unless I boomerang. stripe a straight one, <laughs> then maybe duck. <laughs> how often how often have you got you know you, obviously you're you're playing into that slice, yeah. but every now and then you probably just you're, you're trying to get rid of that slice probably mentally, and so then yeah. you just hit one that's straight and it's just gone. Oh, definitely. Like there's been. It always happens when there's water on the right, and I'm aiming towards the water. I always hit it straight if there's water there. But other than that, yeah, it usually goes pretty hard left. <laughs> yeah. I was golfing this summer with my uh, with my brother-in-law, and and we were at Twin Lakes Golf Course in 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 the Okanagan there. Yeah. And didn't matter what the guy did, uh, he was always in the in the in the bunker. Yeah. Every hole. There's he, days like that. There's days went, like that for sure. He was twelve, hit the bunker twelve times through ten holes. Yeah, that's he got tough. real good at his stand wedge, though. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I bet. No kidding. Yeah, and I, I'm saying I got a bit of a slice, but it's not not that that crazy. Mm-hmm. I I I courtesy it to my hockey slice yeah. or my hockey shot that I just yeah. it's just how I how I hit it. So. Yeah, exactly. No, we were pretty lucky though. Uh, Birchbank set us up with a pretty good deal. They gave us free golf for the first month and a half, two months while we were here. Nice. So we got out at least twenty times. I got out a lot. While Who's I was got here. the worst? golf game on the team oh i don't i'm not gonna sewer anybody for having the worst golf game but thieves has a unique swing yeah yeah okay yeah thieves definitely has a unique swing but no we got some good golfers on the team good 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 political answer okay well we've done this one with some of the other players too and it's the the music choices of the team and you know uh you're a guy that likes to get hyped up during during the games in new york well before the game so Mm -hmm. Who, if you want to, you know, get hyped up, uh, who are you not giving the aux cord to in the locker room? Oh, Logan Turness. He listens to the same six songs on repeat. On the way to the rink, on the way home from the rink, it's six of the baby's songs, and that's it. Maybe two Pop Smoke songs, but that's as far as he'll go. <laughs> yeah, he's got the same songs in the same playlist going over and over again, but that's Logue. <laughs> Yeah, I spend too much time with the guys. Yeah. You can probably tell. Who's uh, who's got the the best music choice in the locker room? Best music choice? Oh, when I walked into the ring for the first couple games, um, Shiv had some some old Tupac going. Okay. Yeah, it's like some old classic stuff like that. That's good to listen to before games. I'd never listened to that before games, but that was good. Yeah, uh, Daft's got some good EDM too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Siobhan said he's uh, he's pretty. He's not very confident in his music choices, but he he's, he's he owns he's, it. He's, yeah, he owns it. Uh, who do we have on? Um, we were told. Oh, we had uh, Connor Misho on. He said that Senko is is a not a good choice to have the the aux cable just because he's. I think he's, he likes the country. I think is what it is. A little bit of country, yeah, and maybe a bit of rock too. I haven't listened to too much of his music, but yeah, I'll take Misha's word for it. Okay. Uh, and then who uh, Jordan Hendry let us in on a secret on, on Ethan Willoughby. I don't know how well you know Willoughby yet. Yeah, no, I heard that about the, what was it, the British British, British rap. rap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I haven't heard too many of his songs, but 
Yeah, I could see Willow listening to some British rap. Uh, if you had to, you know, if, if Rookie Idol was to happen on the bus, who uh, would have the the best um, the best solo or, or, or oh. who, who could be the, the most entertaining? I could see Mish having a good performance. Yeah? Yeah, he could put together a good performance. Definitely. I don't know. I could can, I can maybe give him a run for his money. <laughs> maybe. What would be your, what's your, what would be your go-to song? Go-to song. It has to be like September by Earth, Wind, and Fire probably. Kay. Something like that. I don't know. Something like that, yeah. Just a song you can belt out. Yeah. Something like that. It's good. Those are, those are good choices. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the to the hockey side of it. So you're um, kind of talked through. Let's go back actually here. Let's go go, go Northeast Chiefs. Um, <laughs> our our mutual friend there, Cole Waldy, who yeah. used to do the the broadcast for the for the Chiefs, uh, sent me a a goal clip that. Um, Goes back to so your last year, and this was, I believe you said it was in the playoffs. Um, I can't remember if it was against Prince George or if it was against the Hawks. I don't know if the Haw- if we played an overtime game against you guys. Was that an overtime? I think. I, I no, think I didn't score in overtime. I didn't score in overtime. I remember that. Hmm. Well, here we'll take a quick listen to uh, to this goal clip here, and, and maybe it will help uh, refresh the memory here. Kay. Come the Chiefs. Here's Justin Scott with speed. He's got Roussel with him and Baratoni the trailer. Here's Roussel the rebound. It just scores. Nick Roussel on the rebound. It's a one-goal game with 12.08 to go. That ring any bells? That that was in Caribou. Yeah. That was in Caribou. Yeah, I remember that. That was the second round of the playoffs. So you knocked off the Vancouver Northwest Hawks, the team I was I was working for. And yeah. Round one. Quick exit. Quick exit. Uh, and then you guys go on and you guys play play Caribou, who was yeah. one of the powerhouses. Yeah, they uh, were a solid team. We beat them in the first game, lost the second game in double overtime. That was a heartbreaker. I had I had a shot right first overtime, right in the slot, and they went right off his glove. I remember missing that one. That kept me up for a couple nights after that yeah. game. But um, – no, so we lost in double overtime that second game. And then, yeah, we lost in that third game. That was tough. We had a close team that year, too. It was definitely – that was a tough game. But and That's a tough way, you know, you've talked about how you after that you went into school. That's a tough way to kind of go out and end your mm-hmm. your midget career, I guess you could, you could say. Yeah. Um, I always knew that I had something left in me for hockey. And I just – at the time, going to school was the right decision for me, but – now playing hockey is the best decision I could have made. So, so you did play hockey though a little bit when you were at Queen. So you mm-hmm. played, uh, like you said, junior C. But you also did a little bit of uh, an engineers cup, I yeah. guess. That uh, yeah, all, all guys that had played and, and you just put together some teams and fir- first start on your on your junior C and just kind of what that that level was like and in, in, in playing you know again a completely new scenario while mm-hmm. also going to school. Yeah, the junior C. Yeah, yeah. It was the pace wasn't the greatest. I. The whole time, I my mind was on school, and it was a half-hour commute from the school to there, and I didn't mm-hmm. really have that time. So yep. it was defi- it was stressful. But, no, it's nothing like Junior A. Junior A is just a different game entirely. But it was nice just to stay on the ice, stay active, because it's easy to get caught up in the school sometimes and mm-hmm. just stay in your room and stay on the books. So, yeah, no, it was it was fun, but it just it wasn't the right time to be playing hockey. But, yeah, then moving to engin- the engineering team, so it was all a bunch of engineers. We had a big tryout, and 
Uh, there were some guys who played in the OHL, guys played in the BCHL. It was some good hockey. Mm -hmm. So we played a few charity tournaments just to raise money for cancer research. And then the big game, it was in January, we played uh, it's a Cure Cancer rivalry game. So it's between the commerce program and the engineering program at the school. Mm -hmm. And we filled, the, filled an OHL rink with 5,300 students. That's it was an awesome game. Yeah, raised a lot of money for that too. So That's probably pretty cool. pretty cool too, especially when you're um, at the midget level. It's it's mostly parents, and you oh, get you get the yeah. audience, you get parents and family in there, mm -hmm. and then you go. I don't, I mean, we'll talk about the max tournament too, where you probably yeah. still get some fans there, but it's still mostly parents and, and yeah. scouts and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then you go to you know this engineering cup where it's it's fifty three. It's it's sold out, and it's all students. Like it's they're students just going excited. completely nuts. They're nuts. It was. It was probably the most exciting game I've played in, at least for the nerves. Like you skate over, I was scared to fall in warm ups. Just <laughs> skating those circles, seeing everyone banging on the glass, and it's just full. The whole rink was flooded. It was pretty cool. I don't know if you you were here when the uh, the Washington State University kids had been here. I've heard so many stories. Oh, they they are. It, it's you, you look at what college football is and just the the cheering sections that they get there. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 like that down in that corner where where the the Trail Beer Refinery is. That's awesome. Um, I've told the first the first year that they came up, maybe it wasn't the first year they came up, but the second year they came up, um, the Smoke Eaters played the the Surrey Eagles and scored a couple goals, and it was down at uh, well, I guess it wouldn't have been down at that end, but and they scored a couple goals, and that corner was just going yeah. absolutely nuts, and they they played Salmon Arm is is I believe who it was, and they won ten two. 10-2, I think, is what the score was. They put it. They they won double digits on uh, on Salmon Arm on that night. And oh, they must have been electric. And that the whole corner, night. and it was just especially in the second period. Apparently, they blew up in the second period. And every time they scored, the players were jumping in that corner. And that corner of the of the Washington State kids Holy. were just going absolutely nuts. That must have been crazy. I can't wait to see fans in this rink. I've watched one game with fans here, and that was you couldn't even see any orange seats. Yeah, that was that was a cool game to watch. I just can't wait till we get fans here. So you're from Maple Ridge. Uh, you're wearing number 21 this year. Let's yeah. start. Uh, why 21, or is it just because someone the other number you would have liked to have was picked? I personally would have picked number 22, but I'm not stripping that off of a dub guy. So I decided to go with 21. Uh, no, I like 21. It, it's a good looking number, but there's no specific attachment to it. I just no. thought it was a cool number. Cool. Uh, so, like I said, from Maple Ridge, you come now. Obviously, like you said, you'd APed here with the Smoke Eaters. You'd, yeah. you'd been here in Midget when you know you played the Kootenai Ice. So you've you've been in the area. You kind of know it. But you're two months in, two, just over two months into to living in Trail and being a Smoke Eater. Uh, kind of what's it been like? It's probably been a whirlwind, but it's it's probably it's probably been pretty exciting as well. It's been awesome. Just being on the ice twice a day. It's it's a lot of fun. Just being around the guys and. We're doing what we love every day. We're skating and working out, and there's some fun stuff to do. We go to the grill and chill, Dairy Queen and <laughs> in Castlegar. Some things never change from year to year. Yeah, <laughs> we go there and hang out, and we just found out that the movie theaters are open, so the boys might go out and watch some movies yeah. if they're showing anything good. But, yeah, it's it's been fun. Guys are fishing a little bit. And in the early months, we went golfing a lot. I think I was golfing like th three or four times a week. It was fun. We got some... We got some betting going on yep. in some of those games, so they're getting pretty intense. But yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And uh, what else is going on in trail? 
Beer refinery is good. We haven't gotten out there too many times, but some good the food. guys, the, the guys that are are legal and can go yeah. to the refinery. Yeah. 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 No. So it's no, it's been a lot of fun here. Um. So you get through training camp, you get committed for the Smoke Eaters, and you're in that first game. Your first game in nine months. Yeah. Um. What was that like? Like, was there nerves during the day? Like, when you found out that you were in the roster because they're obviously moving the roster around yeah. with so many guys here. Uh, were there nerves? Were you just excited? Rap what was your day like? It's the weirdest thing, but I didn't feel too many nerves. I was just excited to get out there. We've been preparing for almost a month, month and a half, mm -hmm. just practicing, and you just you want to play that game. You want to get out there and just play that game, and. I was really excited. Even before the game, I was just bouncing off the walls in the room. I was just, I couldn't wait to get out there. So you're you're the energy guy down there. I tr I try to be. Yeah, I try to have a positive attitude and go out there and play some hockey, score some goals. And try that's exactly what you did in your first game. Uh, you got the got the goal in that that seven four win. Shavon to the line. Shavon now to Roussel. Roussel is driving the He's gonna score. Nicholas Roussel gets that one to go. Resource the two goal lead. We're just going to say a guy who didn't play hockey last year came to Smoke Eaters ID camp, earned himself a spot, earned himself a commitment here to the Smoke Eaters, gets the goal, gets 5-3. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Siobhan was saying that like one of the, the the coolest things or like the moment that he had where it's like, okay, hockey's back, okay, I'm Smoke Eater, okay, you know, we're doing this, was yeah. when that first goal went in. Yeah. For you, what was it like? Hearing, you know, you're standing in the tunnel there, and, and you know, the the, the light shows the going light shows on. going, the purge horn is going, yeah. And Chris Kuchar's calling you guys out. How yeah. how cool? Or, or are you in a, a mode there? Are you listening to all that, or are you it, it, you're buzzing at that point? You're buzzing, but you're taking that in, and it, it's fueling you almost like you. It, it's feeding your energy, and just hearing all that and sprinting out on the ice, it's definitely a cool feeling. And just, and then you just gotta, you know. Unfortunately, you got to imagine that there's fans here, and then, yeah. then this place is just going. That's one of the difficult things, too, just creating your own energy and keeping the energy up because there's nobody cheering in the crowds. You gotta, the game can sometimes slow down a little bit, but you got to make sure you keep that energy, make big hits, and just make sure we're vocal out there and keep that energy up. And, you know, it's, you weren't in that, in that game where, the ice, uh, where we had the ice yeah. and had to call it, but we were talking about how that's a uh, an an op opportunity there where you you're getting long delays you, you know there was a, almost a 35 minute intermission there it's hard to stay dialed in when that's going on yeah especially if you're waiting in the room for 40 minutes everyone's wondering what's going on it's legs are tightening up a little bit but that's when you got to really focus up and be dialed in and then well that's the thing then you come out and it's like okay now you've got to you've got to get back in into game mode because there's no fans here to to get you going yeah a lot of that comes to is some of that maybe from the coach, or is that all from you guys on the bench and making sure that you're, 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 you've got that energy? Mm -hmm. Well, the coaches definitely remind us we got to keep the energy up, keep the enthusiasm, and just keep uh, keep grinding out there. But it's all in the guy. It's all in the plays you make. Right? You got to make sure you're making crisp passes. Big hits definitely help. Making those big hits get the energy up for the boys and goals too. That gets it all up there. So. And block shots. Block oh, yeah. shots. Yeah. You're a guy who uh, is not afraid to jump in front of a puck. No. Um, no, I enjoy I'm blocking I'm pucks. I'm sure you're double digits by now through your games and block shots. Do we keep stats on that? We don't, but no. it's, it's – well, I've eaten a few this, this <laughs> these past few games, yeah. It's one of those stats – you know, it's one of those un, you know not registered stats yeah. that, you know, when people maybe – 
when people maybe look at, at your 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 statistics, they don't see you know mm-hmm. thirty goals, thirty assists. It's the unspoken ones. It's the it's the work ethic. It's the puck retrievals. It's the blocking shots. You know, you mm-hmm. pride yourself a lot on winning battles in the corner, yep. penalty killing, mm-hmm. blocking shots, um, doing you know, like you said, the the work ethic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly what I base my game off of because I know I'm not the guy who's going to be going scoring forty, fifty goals a season. So I just got to do the little things right, and I actually I love killing penalties, doing the little things and blocking shots. I enjoy doing that stuff, just getting pucks deep, just be a be a grinder, energy guy. And you know, and and sometimes teams need that. You know, well, every team, in in my opinion, anyways, needs guys like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're always gonna have your scores. Not everyone can be a, a score. It's it's. You gotta accept your role. There's not enough ice time, mm-hmm. and exactly, you gotta accept accept your role sometimes, and. For you, it's it's about, you know, like you said, that energy before games when you're on the ice yeah. every shift, making sure that you give, you know, that hundred and ten percent every time you're on the ice. Is that something that you've always always done, or is that yeah. something that now you're coming in, you're looking at, you know, an opportunity where you can really excel and, and show your talents? Is is that role here? Yeah, well, this act, it's actually, I picked up this role you could call it in uh, my first year major midget, my third year midget. Um, I was actually a defenseman going into that season. Okay. And then Jeff Yurkar uh, converted me to a forward. And being a defenseman in my whole life, I didn't have the greatest hands. Yeah. So I had to get pucks deep and just had to be that, that F1, body checking and forechecking hard. And that's something – That's that whole year I kind of transformed into that role, penalty killer, blocking shots and just working hard. And that's something that I've done ever since. It's funny, you, you see a lot of it come major midget where a lot of guys, not a lot, but a fair amount of guys switch from being a defenseman to a forward mm-hmm. or forward to a defenseman. Yeah. Um, I know, uh, you know, there's a couple guys with the Hawks that had done that. What's that transition like? Because it's a completely different set of yeah. responsibilities when you're on the ice as to who you're watching and to what you're doing going forward. Oh, exactly. It's even now a little bit, like I'm getting a lot more comfortable with it, but I haven't been playing winger my whole life. So mm-hmm. sometimes the positioning... I got to remind myself be in the right positions, and but I think that's where my defensive side of the game comes from. So I'd, I'd say I'm more of a defensive forward, and I think being a defenseman, I know those soft areas, and I know uh, I'm more defensively focused, and that's where that part of my game comes from. But it was definitely stressful at first, uh, just wanting to be in the right areas and fill the right lanes. This, there's a lot more skating as a forward too, mm-hmm. at least the level I was playing at, going from. Uh, Ridge Meadows minor hockey to major midget. There's a lot more skating as a forward. Yeah, but yeah, no, it was it was a it was a great transition. I I like playing forward a lot better now. Now when you're coming you're coming down the wing, you're you're you know, eye and eye with a defenseman. Are you just focused on what your ability is and what you can do to get it past him and get that puck deep, or are you mm-hmm. thinking if I was in his position, this is what I'd be expecting, this is what I would do, and then go from there? Or is that am I making that way too complicated for? No, for me, it's I've learned a lot being here at this camp. It, when you're attacking the defenseman, just looking for the openings. You can there's so many. You can go through his triangle. You can go behind his heels, just little things like that. But just seeing where my players are around me and seeing mm-hmm. where the support is. Sometimes the best play you can make is just chip it deep. Uh, that first game there, you played with uh, with Nick with oh, you are Nick Russell. You played with Connor Michaud and uh, and Jackson Krill. Yeah. Um, Two guys that are a little bit younger than you. You are a 19-year-old guy, so one yeah. of the, you are one of the older guys on, on what is a very young team. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what's it like w- 
working with a, a bunch of different guys as, as the lineups kind of get shuffled around. No, it's cool. To learn. You learn a little bit from every single guy. Everyone plays a little bit different. You know guys have different playing styles, and Mish, he's a scorer. He's demonstrated that so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, Krill's a skilled guy. He can make great plays. And for me, it was just accepting my role on that line just to fish out pucks and get it to them so they could score goals too. And just you can learn a little bit from every guy. I played a little bit with Thieves, and he's a good player too. And there's a lot of good guys on this team that you can learn from. What do you learn from uh, some of the guys who have been here, you know, who are the, the veterans, you know, Cody mm. Siobhan as the captain, as the leader of this team? Yeah. Um, guys like that, like what uh, – obviously you're technically a rookie yourself, so yeah. what are you talking to those guys about? What are, you, what are you learning from them? Just seeing their maturity. They've been in here for so long. They've played in the league and just seeing just the way they handle things and their composure in the game. How how focused they stay during games. They don't let the little things rattle them, and they stay focused on the bigger picture and their work ethic too. This game, you got to be intense every single practice, every single every single game, and that's the biggest thing I've noticed playing junior A, is that you can't take a shift off even if it's in practice. Everyone's going full out every single every single rep, and that's something those guys they they lead by example, and they really set that tone in practice and in games. So we're a couple games into into the season or the, the extended training camp re, uh, season now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had that that week off, uh, which is probably like, you know, it's nice to have that week off, but also at the same time you're just We'd getting back playing. into. We'd the, rather be playing. Exactly, you're just getting back into that groove, and you know it always takes a couple games for some guys to you know shake off that rust and just to you know feel comfortable again on the ice, mm-hmm. and then you you have that week off. But you got a big doubleheader coming up this weekend. Um, Kind of for you, how's the Kootenai Cup gone? How exciting um, has it been? Because it, they are more than just preseason games. You're you're playing for something. You're playing for, um, you know, Kootenai pride. You know, we're growing that West, rivalry too. West, West versus Kootenai is the rivalry. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever wins this for first Kootenai Cup is always going to have that over the other. Yeah, no, it's it gives you a little bit something, a little bit, a little bit more to play for. Mm-hmm. It's definitely raises the intensity. And just going to Cranbrook, it's going to be fun going on the road trip. I haven't been on a road trip in a while. <laughs> just to bring that aspect to the It's a unique bus, hockey. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, nice wrap on it, though. Yes, Great yes, wrap. Does. Yeah, but I've heard it's a little bit older on the inside. It is a little bit older, but you know what? It gets the job done. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Point A to point B. Um, no, it, they're a good team, but we just got to outplay them. That's what we've been doing so far, and we just got to keep that up. Was, was there anything that Cranbrook maybe uh, surprised you? They're really aggressive. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Even I've heard the power play talking about it. Just breaking out of the zone, they're really aggressive, and that's one thing we got to make sure we have close support so we can find those close uh, support options, and then we'll be fine. But yeah, they're they're for the most part they're a skilled team. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we just got to work them. We, we, me and me and Rob always talk about how Cranbrook's a team that maybe doesn't have that that one guy that can score mm-hmm. all the goals that, and and they might still, but they just have that guy hasn't stepped up. They've got what they've got is they've got four lines of just consistency that can come at you aggressively, can win puck battles, can make good plays, and can go to the net and get shots. Yeah. How hard is that for you? You know, like you said, you're a defensive forward, but obviously defending is as as a unit, as a team. Mm-hmm. It's not just the two defensemen that have to defend and the goalie. It's, it's it's all the guys on the ice. So how hard is that to to defend? It's you know what? There's a constant wave of pressure. We just got to make sure we're tight in the D zone. And that's something we've been working a lot on. Because we've had moments in games where our D zone is not necessarily broken down, but it hasn't been as strong as we want it to be. 
So that's something we've been working on. And just like I said earlier, have that close support system and so we can break out pucks and then do make quick transitions and attack on them. So instead of always worrying about defending, we want to be attacking. So how uh, how nice will it be once you know you're through this weekend to maybe play a team other than Cranbrook? Because it will be very nice. It's hard to see where you you stand in the league, right? When you've only played one team, mm-hmm. uh, and we're starting to hate those guys over there. <laughs> is is it is it really like it's it's starting to heat up? That a little bit, yeah. You're starting to get who get to know who everybody is, and now that they have name bars too, mm-hmm. you get to know a little bit more who everybody is. They all look the exact same with those bubbles and no name bars. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely heating up, but I'm excited to play. Who do we play? Merritt. Merritt first on uh, on Thursday the 12th, yeah. and then yeah. Prince George in a matinee game here at Sunday at the at the Minko, and then another Wednesday game against uh, Merritt before uh, games six and seven of the Kootenai Cup. Oh, it'll be nice to break it up then. Yeah, yeah, we'll get a bit of a break from each other and come back fresh. How how big are these two games though, in terms of the Kootenai Cup? In terms of you know treating this like a playoff series. Yeah. Um, how big are these games? Because you guys lead 2-1. to one. Um, Obviously, there's going to be a lot of emotions for them because it's the, them going on the ice and their new building for the first time. Yeah. You guys on the road for the first time. Yeah. It's our opportunity to create that separation, right? Just finish the series off, and that's what we want to do coming into this weekend. Every, we take every single game the same. We, All the boys want to go as hard as they can and obviously win the game. That's That's our goal. Well, Nick, I think we've gone through everything. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, no problem. I, I appreciate you coming up and doing it a second time. Yeah. I know we've kind of el- elaborated on some of the things we talked around on the first time uh, before I had some technical issues, but I think that uh, that does it for us. Uh, like I said, I want to thank you for coming up. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully, people kind of got to know you a little bit more as, as a person, as a player, mm-hmm. um, and your journey to the Smoke Eaters, which you know, is the way I see it, is is, is a pretty cool one because, thank like you, you said, you didn't play hockey, and then you were able to work your way back in. Now you're playing junior A, and you're fighting for an NCAA scholarship, which yeah. is uh, you know, obviously exciting for anyone watching, and for you it's probably pretty exciting as well. Yeah, I have an opportunity. I just got to take advantage of it. So it's definitely it's not a, it's not a normal junior A story, but it's one that I'm proud of and that I've worked it's, for. It's so. your story, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's not one way to, to get from point A to point B. There's a couple <laughs> different ones, and I've taken a different one for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, again, thanks so much. Uh, Best of luck this weekend in Cranbrook. Uh, I don't get to go with you guys, but uh, best of luck. Hopefully I'll get to, to make one of those games, one, maybe one of the ones, if you guys aren't able to close it out this weekend, uh, one of the future ones. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, for the Kootenai Cup. But uh, best of luck this weekend. Enjoy the trip, and uh, thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Nicholas Roussel here on the Smoke Show podcast. Uh, thanks to him for Obviously doing the interview once and then coming up here again uh, a few days later to redo the interview. Uh, huge um, hat tip to him for, for re-answering the questions that you know you guys won't be able to tell, but he elaborated on some of the questions and some of the answers that he gave me the first time. So uh, a really great interview for him, and hopefully that uh, gets you to know a little bit better about Nicholas Roussel, uh, his golf swing. Uh, we didn't really touch too much on on the fishing. He apparently hasn't caught a fish yet, but he's been going out quite a bit with uh, with some of the guys on the team, as that's become a popular thing for for some of the Smoky Dish players. Um, but you get to know a little bit about him coming up through minor hockey, playing with the Northeast Chiefs, and and he also let a little bit in on on Logan Logan Terness, uh there. So uh, again, thanks to Nicholas Roussel for that interview. 
again, you got to know got to know it, and that's hopefully something we'll do in, in each month here. We'll do a, a longer form version of the podcast in, in featuring a player and getting those those longer form interviews as you uh, try and get to know these players that unfortunately that you can't come and interact with at the games uh, quite yet. So hopefully you enjoyed that. We're going to switch gears a little bit, go from a smoke eaters perspective into a, a more of a league perspective here with Brad Lazaro, which I talked to him about uh, about a lot of things, about him as as the officiator Director of Officiating for the BCHL, where he's come from. He's uh, officiated close to 2,000 games in the NHL as a linesman. He's been at the top level, and now he's working to uh, to teach and 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 build up the, the refereeing uh, here in the BCHL and then obviously move those guys on as he will talk about. So we talked about a lot of things, uh, some of the new COVID rules and just, and just how rules uh, are interpreted here in the BCHL. Uh, it's a great interview, something that hopefully you'll enjoy in learning about how and what goes on behind the scenes. So here's Brad Lazarowicz, our second interview here on this episode of the Smoke Show podcast. All right, I'm now joined by the league's officiating director for the BCHL, Brad Lazarowicz, who has a very extensive uh, career in the NHL. Uh, but Brad, let's... Uh, First off, just kind of how are things going, and uh, I'm sure it's been a, a busy and unique uh, start to the year for you. Yeah, it has been, and thanks again for having me on. Um, it's been good. Uh, I think uh, we've had six weekends of BCHL hockey. Uh, I think from a on-ice perspective, it's gone pretty well with the kind of the new changes that we have at the on-ice level. Um, I think that the officials have adopted well, and I think our players have done a great job too of understanding what is expected from them. And you know, it took a while, but I think we're finally getting where we want to get to, which is a um, a comfortable spot of allowing our players to play hard between the whistles, but understanding when the whistle goes that they have to disperse as quick as possible. And well, for for those who maybe don't know you and don't know um, your background and, and your role, um, let's start with with you at the NHL level. You've been, you know you ref for close to 20 years, um, did almost 2,000 uh, games, including three Stanley Cup Finals uh, as a linesman. Um, just for you, kind of how how did you get into into officiating, and and how did you work your way up? Well, not to want to correct you because of my age, but I actually did 30 years. <laughs> with okay, the yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, no, it's all good. Yeah, I did 30 years there. Um, I was very fortunate to have a career that I was on the ice for some finals, and, and it was it was a great job and a great experience for me. And when I left, I wanted to transition into working with other officiating departments. Uh, the BC Hockey League was something that was natural for me. I live in this province, obviously, and in an area in the lower mainland, and um you know, officiating is, is something that uh, I obviously have many career at it, but I also enjoy wanting to teach and mentor and, you know, and pursue it to be a a, a place where, you know, officials can uh, work at trying to develop themselves onto other levels, but also to make sure that we're, we're keeping up with the great game that we have in the BC Hockey League and putting the best officials on the ice for that. And also then I got involved in the Department of Player Safety with the uh, BC Hockey League to help monitor the safety of our players. We have we started a department, a DOPS department, a Department of Player Safety. I work with Steve Cocker, our VP out of the office with that department. And it's to ensure that our players are protected at ice level from 
good calls and bad calls and to understand how they have to uh, uh, administer, adhere to our standards in the BC Hockey League. Now, as you said, so you've a 30-year NHL career. You know, people always talk about how much the game has changed. Um, obviously, uh, you know, you would have been been lining with with some of the greats that were playing uh, through through the 90s. There, how have you seen the game from when you started officiating to when you you finished officiating to now where you're teaching here at the BCH level? Yeah, you know, I got hired in 1986, and, and uh, I was young. I was 23, 24 years old, and uh, back then, you know. But, you know, obviously we'd have four or five fights a game, uh, the holding and the hooking. I mean, I look at some of our great players back then and how they had to kind of fight through all that part of the game. And then in 04, when we had that long lockout, the game really changed quite a bit, right? And they took away a lot of the obstruction, you know, the interference, the holding, the hooking, the grabbing on. And the game opened up quite a bit. We lost the red line and the offside pass. We opened up with hybrid icing. And so the game, I think, I saw the game evolve from, you know, uh, you know, sort of a lot of clutch and grabbing and obviously a lot of skilled players. But, you know, you know, I think the game back then had some really good skilled players and then it kind of fell off or the game now has a lot of really good skilled players. And when I left the game, you know, in 16, it was it's quick. And from an officiating standpoint, you know, a lot of things had changed that way with the, you know, with the offsides being checked on goals and stuff around the net being checked and so forth so it's it's evolved into doing the right things for the game and the game always comes first right so you need to protect that part of the game and they have and us in the BC Hockey League have done a great job of doing I think somewhat of the same thing you know we're trying to protect our great game with making sure that our players don't get suspended and you know sent off the ice for things that aren't are, are sent out of games that aren't the right standard and so in our, in our Department of Player Safety, we have the opportunity to look at calls that happen during the game, and we can either uphold them or rescind them or, or you know, or, or elevate them if we want. But, uh, again, it's always done with the players' best interests in, involved. And, and so uh, I think from a standpoint of that way, it's it, that's what's changed. And I, I, see, I saw that change at the NHL level, and I wanted to bring it over to the BCL. I feel like. And now kind of one more uh, before we get more into, you know, uh, your role with the BCHL is kind of maybe what's you know, a fun story or what's one of the most unique things that you've seen um, when you were in the NHL level? Well, I mean, I, you know, it was, well, that's a good question. I mean, I saw a lot <laughs> of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I think from, uh, you know, all the on-ice situations as in the fights we had and, and, you know, um, just games that I was involved in, but uh, I think I think my best experiences come from playoff time, and I was very fortunate to work a game seven in the Stanley Cup Finals back in '03 with New Jersey and Anaheim, and be on the ice in, in, in an opportunity where there was no tomorrow and there was no more assignments, and the cup was getting handed out that night, and I bumped into Scott Niedermeyer a few weeks ago up in Penticton and had a good chat with him about that game, and just, just, you know, just how, you know, how, how much those are, the times, those are great times. And, and yet a lot of stress, you don't really think about it until after it's over. Right. So I don't know. That's a great question. There's so much that's happened in my life at the on ice level. And I, I missed it. I, I enjoyed it. I loved working with the NHL, but I, I'm taking all that now to the BC hockey league and that experiences and really trying to carve it into this league. And I think through the, um, uh, we have a great commissioner and Chris Hebb and, you know, we have great teams that want to do the right thing out here and best for our players. And I think that's the direction we're headed. 
And so now transitioning into the BCHL, I think one thing that, from a fan's perspective, they always find um, officiating can can be controversial at times. But mm-hmm. I think they also can forget that these refs are young and they're at this level, just like the players are, to learn, develop, and grow and move on to um, the next level. And I think, you know, that's a big thing that maybe people don't always look and they always expect the best out of the officials. And there's also that, you know, there there's rules that are set in stone, but there's, you know, for those rules, um, and maybe you can clarify how I'm trying to say this here, is there's different ways to interpret those rules given the situation that those rules need to be applied. Correct. I, I think we kind of want to call that feel for the game, right? And, um, you know, I don't know how many times I have coaches, you know, when they call me and they're upset about something and they're like, well, this official hasn't got a feel for the game. And I kind of jokingly say to them, well, if you could ever find feel for the game, we could bottle it. We can make a lot of money because uh, I think your players would probably want some feel for the game. Every once in a while, probably you do too. So, um, you know, I, I think I think the one thing I want to get, you know, I think our fans have to understand is the people who watch our games is that we are a development league for players and coaches and definitely for our officials. Our league has gotten younger with our officiating department, but I also want them to understand that there is a lot of accountability that goes into our program. And, you know, every Monday, our officials get an email from me and some clips of how the weekend went, good and bad then. And on Fridays, I send them somewhat like a coach's rah-rah speech, which says, hey, you know what, here's some of the good things we can do. And let's take these good things into this weekend with this kind of point of emphasis, whether it would be something along the lines of let's keep an eye on the pull of the heads, let's keep an eye on obstruction penalties like hooking and holding or whatever. And so, you know, these officials are getting taught on a weekly basis. And I think it's important for our fans to understand that, you know, they're, they're assigned games and they go out and do their games, but they're not just thrown out, you know, here you go and, and here's your games and, you know, and they leave and nothing comes of it. You know, I talk to them a lot after the games with the officials in the next day. And uh, many, many times the officials will get, full game clips from me, whether it's all their face-offs for linesmen or all their penalty calls for referees. And so, you know, then that teaching always goes on. Our, our, play, our coaches do with our players, and I think our fans really need to know that that's being done at the officiating level as well. Now, how much um, off-season work is there with the officials? Because you always have you know, officials who will move up to the next level, and then you get new ones coming in. So how much work goes into working with officials during the off season and and how does that that work does it come down to is it video sessions and showing you know this is how this has been done in the league and and things like that or and how do you bring up new new officials you know that's a great another good question i think it's kind of recruiting right i mean i know like teams will go out um in the summer and recruit players and uh, for their for their teams and I'm no different you know we put on these officiating camps officiating seminars I do a lot of work with teams in the summer so for example if a team was to have a spring camp I would bring in young officials from that area I go up watch them work the best the best thing really to see for officials is watch them work in real live game environments um, and you know from there we kind of hash out our staff and that you know we take a look and see where we are we definitely do lose uh, our good officials up to the Western Hockey League and from there to the American Hockey League and, and, and then so forth. And, um, you know, uh, that that's a natural progression and I, and I encourage it and I, and I want to see it happen. I want to see our kids move on. And so there's always these opportunities, you know, with Cranbrook coming in the league, I went up to Cranbrook this year already and work with that program and 
you know, put some on ice officials together. They got, they're going to have some really good officials in that area. And, you know, it evolves because you, you want the ebb and flow of them leaving, uh, moving up. Uh, and then you lose some through attrition, obviously, through just, you know, you know, packing it in and moving on with their careers and their lives. And But, yeah, you know, it's always evolving, and you're always looking for the, that little next group of officials. Yeah. Now, uh, going from, say, uh, you know, regular season to playoffs, it's always a, a fun thing that, that – People always comment about, well, if, if you know this is called in the regular season, it should be called in the playoffs. But you always want to let them play a little bit more in the playoffs, and it's an interesting balance, I guess you can say. And you know, for you and in, in what you, you you teach and and what you know, kind of where where's that line? Is that even something that is that something that's maybe blown out of proportion from a fan or, or perspective? So so we're circling back to still for the game, Ben, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny because that's where it all circles back to. It's, it's, it's the feel for the game. It's to understand that, you know, I was so lucky, right? I got to work with such great referees, and I got to work with some really good supervisors that taught me along the way, and they teach you the little tiny things of the game. And what they teach you is, you know, you get to a playoff game, and you have to understand, you know, there's more at stake and the players become more defined in their roles. The first line is to score goals. I mean, you have your third line checkers and so forth. And so when you're referee games like that, every game has a heartbeat. You don't think of 60 minutes of hockey. You break it down into minutes of hockey because things could happen in one minute that you could change the course of the game. And so this is that teaching that you try to get through to these kids and understand that don't think too deep into a game yet. Playoff hockey is exciting. It's exciting for our players and for our fans. And I think what we do there is we definitely reduce our staff down to the right officials to be on the, on the ice at the right times and to make them earn their assignments. I think that's extremely important. Um, and to then to go with officials that are just in, in key and in tune to what we want them to be doing. Right. I mean, it's no different when a, a coach gives more minutes to certain players because that player is doing what he wants them to do. Well, I'm no different. I don't give minutes. We give games. Right. And so officials will earn their assignments, earn their assignments right to the bitter end. And I think the one thing that BC Hockey has done really good lately in the last two or three years is we let our officials earn their spots, not based on where they live. So. If the team is in the finals, it's not because the local officials there get to work. It's who do we bring in to make sure that our teams deserve the best officials um, and vice versa. Our, our officials have earned it to be there. Um, and so it's a, it's a, it's a win-win because our, our teams are getting the best people at, on the ice at that time. Joined here with Brad Lazarowicz on the Smoke Show podcast. And Brad, let's talk about some of the new rules uh, this year regarding COVID-19 and, and what um, has come into play into allowing the, the league to play. And one of the things you know we talked about a while ago was these rules have been put in play and play and have to be followed for us to be able to continue to play hockey because as you know we're seeing in Ontario and Quebec, you know they're they're not playing hockey or there's rules in Ontario where they're not going to have body checking. So you know maybe some clarification for people who might be confused. You know there's the rule about uh, you know scrums after the whistle players need to disperse that's that's a rule that hockey canada has put in um mm-hmm. scrums in the corner when the puck is is held in the corner for too long uh it's blown down and, and again it's to to you know disperse the players um just kind of some of those and how those have been implemented and how those have been taught to the officials yeah and those are great those, those are two great examples ben and I, I i think what we have to remember is and i touched on earlier is that 
we are allowing our players to play hard and fair between the whistles, meaning when the puck hits the ice, we want them just to go. We haven't taken out body check and we haven't taken out the scoring of the goals and the great passes and everything that goes on in our game. We're allowing our players to play normal between the whistles. All we're asking them to do is when the whistle goes is to, is to disperse. It is from Hockey Canada through Hockey BC. Um, the teaching has done by me sending out video clips to our officials, contacting them about this is the right way to do it and this is not the wrong way. To, this is the wrong way to do it. And also talking to our coaches. Very, very important to communicate with our coaches as well. Um, and so we've done that. You know, it's, it's been a learning curve, right? I mean, I know a lot of players have a hard time with it. You know, the whistle goes and there's pushing and shoving, but they have to understand for us to stay on the ice, for us to be able to play this great game, we have to adhere to these these procedures, right? And so you're going to get some quicker whistles in the corner. Uh, if a player, if an attacking player is standing in the goal crease for too long, the whistle will go if his team has possession of the puck in that zone. Faceoff will be taken outside to eliminate that crowding in front, of, in front of the net. But, you know, I really believe, though, that our teams have done a great job. I commend our teams. I phoned a coach the other day with a situation that happened and, and, and told his to, uh, to basically relay a message to his players that I appreciate what they did at the end of the game and to, to you know, and to disperse immediately. And that message, I, I believe, is getting through. Are we going to have hiccups? Yeah. But I think that, you know what, and you just you nailed it, Ben, where, if you don't like it, go play in Ontario, Quebec, and they're not playing right now, right? So, you know, we're, we're doing a great job out here, and I, I know we can continue to, to, uh, to do it for with the partnership with our players, our coaches, and our officials. And I think, you know, you talk on, on those rules and, and how they, they work. Again, it comes down to um, the, the feel of the game comes into play, and, again, interpretation of each ref. You know, we were talking about the, the player in the crease role. Well, it, it, again, it's, it's a situational thing that, you know, for us here in Trail, we haven't seen it called yet. Um, but in other places around the, the league, they have seen it called. And, of course, the first weekend, maybe a little bit of confusion. Um, but mm-hmm. as as the refs are learning, um, everyone's kind of getting on board with, with how things are going to be for at least this season. Exactly, right? And, you know, what? I, I, I think it's going to become a norm. You know, I really do. Like, I mean, our players had to put on the full bubble this year with the spit guard inside the bubble. I I believe that our players will understand that we've taken nothing away from the game except that component. And yeah, it's not the normal thing they want to see be gone, but you know what? I, I feel that if that's all we've asked them to do and we've, we've asked our officials to, you know, to enforce it, we, I think we're going to be fine then. Right. I mean, you know, I, our game is still the same. You know, the fans are going to get to see this great up and down action, you know, North to South, and they're going to see the scoring of the goals and all the great hits. We're not taking that out. You know, and I'm I'm also asking our officials to understand how important that you know in the whistle you know in the whistle play is, and how we need to continue to monitor our standards that we want our players to you know to play through you know um, fouls and to understand what what the worthiness of a penalty is. And and I think our guys have done a pretty good job. You know, when we get to season in December, we'll see how it goes. But I really feel again, and I know I'm I'm kind of beating the drum here, but that if we all just work together. Uh, that we can keep this game on the ice. Finally, one of the the other new things that uh, we didn't really touch on was the you know say say the players don't disperse uh, when the referees have given um, that warning and maybe we should touch on this as well. That warning can come at at any point. It doesn't have to be. They don't get a warning for every single scrum. There could be a warning earlier in the game, and then if another scrum happens, that's you know it, they've been given their warning, and so then. 10-minute misconducts are handed out. Is that something, again, that 
the 10 minutes con is that something from hockey Canada or is that something that you guys have decided to just help make sure that people understand that this is the rule and, and you know, these are the consequences if you don't follow it. Yeah. From hockey Canada through hockey BC, we, we did add the 10 minute misconduct. The warning is first, the warning. I mean, I, I really instructed our officials to make sure that the coaches get the warning, that there's eye contact with the warning from coach to coach. So they, they understand you've issued it. Um, it's based basically on when there's a scrum in the corner. Now your first scrum though, too, bank can be so bad that there you can't lean to the to the warning because it's such a bad scrum right that you want to mm-hmm. have to assess it accordingly so you may pull something out of that scrum immediately and then at that time say hey you know what that scrum was good enough to be your warning you, sh- you guys should know this already and i think what's really important here is to remember this is not going to change then so if, you know if a team thinks well we're going to start you know the next game you know at the very first drop of the puck and you know, here we get the warning again, we're going to have our scrum again. You know, it, that's not how this is going to work. That's what I'm saying. I, I really hope that we all buy into this and just understand that there shouldn't be too many warnings down the road, right? I mean, I think that players are going to have to get it. And if they don't get it, they will get misconducts. And in, and under Hockey Canada interpretations, if you receive two misconducts in a game, it's a game misconduct. And we have accumulation penalties. If you get too many game misconducts, you get suspended. So this is this kind of like this this wheel effect of it keeps turning and it, and it keeps turning on you in a negative way, you're going to get suspended for this eventually. Right. And I don't want to see that. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't want to take our players off the ice at any time, but if they want to earn it and they want to continue to be that one or two players that just doesn't want to buy in, then yes, they will earn themselves to a suspension. Well, Brad, I want to thank you for uh, taking time and, you know, answering some of the questions and kind of going through how officiating works here at the BCHL level and going through, you know, again, reminding everyone that these, these referees and linesmen are developing as well. So it's, uh, it's constantly learning from both the players, the coaches and the officiating. Uh, I want to thank you so much for, for answering uh, my questions here today. Well, thank you for having me on, Ben. Uh, again, this is much appreciated. Uh, take care of yourself and all the best to you. Brad Lazarowicz, who join me here on the smoke show podcast uh i'll kind of wrap up this week's episode again just uh, myself flying solo no rob squires but uh rob will be back here on the podcast in the following week and that'll give us an opportunity to discuss these interviews a little bit further uh, as we like to do uh, but uh, again thanks to the two guests here on this week's episode uh, as uh, Nicholas Roussel there, our first feature interview in, in getting to know the Smoke Eaters, and then Brad Lazarowicz, who was able to shed some light on some of the new rules here in the BCHL in uh, the, the the adaptations and the new rules uh, that we're seeing due to COVID-19 and uh, and how the league has to has to follow rules to operate. And like you said, everyone is, is doing their part uh, so far to make sure that we are continue to play. I want to thank you, the listener, for, for tuning in to this week's episode of the Smoke Show podcast. Smoke Eaters are in action this weekend, Friday and Saturday in Cranbrook. Both games are a 6 p.m. start that are on Hockey TV. Uh, there is uh, a Mixler broadcast that will happen as well. What it will be is it will be a uh, we Wiley Henderson, who's calling the games for the Cranbrook Bucks this year. Smoke Eaters fans will remember him as the former voice of the Trail Smoke Eaters. Uh, so Wiley's calling the games for Cranbrook on Hockey TV. What we'll do is we'll have the Hockey TV stream coming through on on Mixer so that those fans who don't have uh, Hockey TV are able to listen in. And then myself 
uh, and possibly Rob as well will cut in during the intermissions and we will give you our take during the intermission. So we'll have a smoke eaters element to uh, the broadcast on both Friday and Saturday. Again, those games go at 6 p.m. local time for games four and five of the Kootenai Cup. I want to thank you again for listening here to the Smoke Show podcast and continuing to send us uh, messages and, and support here as we uh, continue to move on here with the podcast. We're 10 episodes in and uh, we've enjoyed it so far and we know, hope that you have as well. We'll talk again in a week, recapping games four and five and looking ahead to the games against Merritt in the following week. Thanks for listening and we'll talk again soon. The Smoke Show was produced at Trail Smoke Eaters Hockey. Hosting and research, Ben Phillips. Co-host, Rob Squires. Produced by Jeff Fontes. Theme music by Jason Shaw. Audionautics. Executive producers, Rich and Annie Murphy. Director of Hockey and Business Operations, Craig Clare. Sales and Marketing, Allison McCarthy and Rachel Swanson. Check out Trail Smoke Eaters on social media at BCHL Smoke Eaters. For everything Trail Smoke Eaters, head to trailsmokeeaters.com.